Coming up on Squats and Margaritas. If I swing open a door and it hits you, I didn't know you were behind the door. I didn't intentionally swing the door open to hit you, but I swung the door open and it hit you. So regardless, I still hit you with the door. Yes. So I still say, I'm so sorry I hit you with the door. I don't need to say it wasn't my intention. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that you're aware that I didn't think, oh, there's this girl behind the door. I'm about to whack her with it. You know, I didn't think that. But there's this thing with intention where it's not that intention doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's that you can't use it to get out of a hurt that you've created. It's that even if it wasn't your intention, and even I struggled with this as a comic for so long, like, but it wasn't my intention to offend you. It wasn't, it doesn't matter. It still happened. Yeah. It still happened. Hey, senorita, really nice to meet you. Have some tequila and say, This week on Squats and Margaritas, it's comedian, actress, writer, and mom, Gina Brione. You've seen her on her Amazon Prime special, The Floor is Lava, On The View, Jimmy Kimmel Live, Kevin Can Wait, The Connors. She's the first Latina comedian to be a finalist on America's Got Talent, and she cracks me the hell up. I cannot wait to talk about what motherhood's been like for her, how COVID was being a new mom. Please do me a favor and hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode. That way you'll get an alert every time a new episode drops. And please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts so more people can find the show. Here is my episode with Gina Brion. So I know you grew up in the Bronx and you started doing stand-up at 17. Yeah. For like friends and like, like I would do little shows in my high school. Like I would have like a hairbrush as a microphone. I was a theater nerd and like a drama geek. So like all my theater friends, we'd be outside the uh, theater and they'd be like, yeah, like do some, do some stand up, do some stand up. And I'd be like, okay. You know, you're just like, <laughs> if I like, have to, <laughs> yeah. Like the person that can sing in theater. That's like, oh, I guess I'll do this number. <laughs> right. And you're just like, I know you were waiting in the wings. <laughs> and I would pull out my hairbrush that had hair sticking all out of it. It's really gross. And <laughs> I would just do stand up. I'd be like, do you guys see what Mr. Fine did in fifth period? Like it was all stuff that we knew like but I knew how to write a stand-up set because I was obsessed with stand-up at like 14 years old yes I would love for you to tell the story the Brett Butler story that you told on the Amazon special about why that was so impactful let me just tell you that story means even more to me now Uh because um it was Brett who bought me and I've never met Brett and I'm really one of those people that's like don't meet your heroes because I'm too afraid Because, you know, and here's why it's because I give people grace to be human. And when you're famous, that doesn't mean that you're not human. When you're a well-known person, like I've met enough famous people and I feel for them because I'm like, you probably don't even feel like you can act normal. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't even go to the grocery store by yourself. And at the time, Brett was like a huge star. So I'm 14. Picture it. 1994. Uh, sorry, I'm a Golden Girls fan too. Um, <laughs> so is my husband. He I love the Golden Girls. The Golden Girls. So I, I did a Golden Girls podcast. I was a guest on somebody's Golden Girls podcast. <laughs> me, Christella, um, me and Christelle. I know Christelle is a huge girl, Golden Girls fan as well. Uh-huh. Um, but picture it, 1994. I'm in the Bronx. I'm watching cable. And uh, unbeknownst to my parents, I'm watching a horror movie. Mm. One of my other loves. I love horror movies. Okay. (laughs) And so I thought I heard footsteps and I panicked. So I start switching the channels and I'm like, "Ah." 
no, wait, what's that? And then this special comes on and it's Brett Butler sold out. And it was her, her second standup special. Her first one is called the child ain't right. And it's on YouTube. If you, if anybody wants to look it up, you can look up the child ain't right on YouTube. Um, I, I found snippets of Brett Butler sold out, but I, I haven't found the whole thing online. However, I do have the VHS. Um, <laughs> yeah, you do. We have to be the course, same age. I, do. I did the math yes. when you said 14, I'm almost 41. Yeah, I'm 42. So okay. we're, we're yeah, right like, there. Okay. Yeah. And so um, I'm watching this woman on stage, beautiful Southern woman, beautiful blonde Southern woman. And she's just, she's dressed like in a sweat, what looks like a sweater and like some probably either tights or like skinny jeans. I just remember looking at her outfit and thinking, you know, she's on this big stage, but she's not all glammed up. Yeah. And I grew up with these images of women growing up in a Latino household where I was, you know, I'd watch American television and you'd see like, you know, women, especially at the time, just, it it was a lot of the archetypes of femininity. It was like, this was the popular girl was beautiful and thin and this and that. And then you'd go to Latino TV where you'd see curvier women, but they were still sexualized. It was either they were sexualized or they were legitimate clowns, like in clown makeup. And so there's, here's this woman. And I'm like, I almost had that thought where I was like, she's so pretty. Why isn't she in a dress? Because in my mind, I was like, why isn't she? That's what women do when they're on stage. Yes. That's what women. she's pretty. Pretty girls wear dresses. I was a tomboy, Mm -hmm. you know? So like for me, I was like, I don't wear dresses because I'm not a pretty girl. Pretty girls wear dresses. And so I was looking at her and I'm like, here's this beautiful blonde woman. And I start just I was mesmerized. Everything about her had me mesmerized. She had a strength in the way she spoke. She had a strength in the way she addressed the crowd. There was an unrelenting fearlessness in everything she was talking about. She was talking about world issues. I remember laughing at 14 at her talking about Tanya Harding and being like, I shouldn't know this, but I know this. (laughs) And I just immediately, I was like, I don't know what that is, but that's what I want to do for the rest of my life. Here was this woman not being overly sexual, not all dolled up with glitz and glamour, but she was controlling the energy, the vibe and and everything in this room full of people. All the attention was on her. She was able to pull that focus in with just her wit and her being like, it was the most miraculous thing to me. Fast forward to like a month or two later, Mm -hmm. I see George Lopez. And George really is what, like George hit it all the way home for me because now I had someone who I could culturally identify with, Mm -hmm. even though he's Mexican and I'm Puerto Rican. I felt very connected to everything he was talking about because a lot of it was just similarities within Latino culture in general. And so I I felt so, everything he was talking about was so culturally accurate for me. And it was like, he sealed the deal, right? which is why this story means more now is because I actually got to meet George when I did AGT and I actually got to work with him after that and have such meaningful, wonderful conversations. Like it's funny because every, every person I've met, they're always, you know, every person I met that has a name that's, you know, famous always has this side to them. That's like, please don't put me on a pedestal. You know what I mean? They're very like, yeah, please. I'm human. I, I haven't always been perfect. And I get that. I so get that. I think the public has issues with understanding that, which is crazy to me because how many entertainers have to say it before you understand 
yeah. that they are people, which means they are subject to faults and angers and flaws and bad days and bad yes. moments. And I don't think people give enough grace. Now that it's different when somebody's clearly a big steaming pile of horse poop. Yeah. But yes. that's different. That's an act of choice to stay in your misery and to be a miserable human being. Yeah. That's a choice. And that's on you. So sorry, you bought it on yourself. Yeah. But when you're a good person, and I just remember having these conversations with George because he was so touched by the fact that he had affected my life so much and that he meant some meaning him meant so much to me. He was so humbly touched by that. Yeah. And honestly, Gabriel was the same way. Gabriel Iglesias, who I've worked with before, another incredibly humble human being who I was just like, I've been very blessed that the people that I've worked with have been really incredible. And George was no different. But now having that story that I've met George, I just, it was incredible. So I see George and I connect the two. I go, you know, now I've seen a woman and I've seen a Latino. And I'm a hybrid mix of the both. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm like, I can do this. It just sparked this thought in me that never left, which was, I can do this. That thought never left my mind all, all throughout the years of comedy, no matter how difficult to get, no matter how many, even, even in times when I wanted to quit, which happens at least once a year, everybody. Um, It has to be hard. Like imposter syndrome. Like you did an Amazon prime special, like, I don't even know. I mean, did you take a Xanax before you like do you child? Ever- the, so we shot the, the so uh, the show that everybody saw for the Florizava is actually the second show. Right. So they saw the second show. Um, we did a first show and I was so incredibly nervous. The first show, I'm pretty sure that I forgot the last 10 minutes of my set and just like walked off stage and everybody was like, you ended really early. And I was going to do the Q and a after anyway. So I went into the Q and a, but I was like, Oh my God, I forgot so many bits. Cause I was so nervous yeah. and we had a great crowd for the first show. It was just the filming and the thing yeah. and the remembering the material. And it was such an impactful special. And I had just found out I was pregnant and nobody knew. Oh my God. So nobody knew I was pregnant at the time. Um, except for my girlfriend, Catherine and my other girlfriend, Jenna and my husband, like my, my family didn't even know yet. We hadn't told my family yet. Oh my God. So here I am about to shoot this special and, <laughs> and I'm about, I didn't even know how pregnant I was. I thought I was way less pregnant than I was. Because I've always been like thick and curvy. And so like when I put on a couple extra pounds, I was like, yep, this is me. And so <laughs> you weren't sick. Like you felt no, fine? no morning all? sickness. I never not. I'm sorry. I had the most angelic, beautiful pregnancy. And I honestly, I'm going to credit cannabis because, and let me tell you why I talked okay. to my doctor. Um, and I was like, I was like, I take edibles and, and pills, but cannabis for like anxiety. I have really bad anxiety and panic Same. attacks. Same. And my doctor was like, he was literally just like, there's nothing that says that it causes harm. Mm-hmm. Just obviously I can't advise you to do it, but like drinking um, wine. <laughs> exactly. Where like, it's there's like, never been a study, but cause like no woman has been like, I'll try it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Binge drink when I'm pregnant. We'll see what <laughs> I'll happens. be your lab rat. <laughs> and so, and then I talked to Amy Schumer actually, because she had a very difficult pregnancy. Yeah. Night. I watched it. I mean, sick, 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 hospitalized. Sick. Yeah. And she said to me that she took low dosage edibles. She was like, I took low dosage edibles to help with stuff. And I'm finding more moms that do that because you can't take anxiety 
anxiety meds when you're pregnant and you don't want to be filled with anxiety because you have this little thing that's attached to you. That's feeling everything. Yes. And so I honestly credit not just him being chill because my son was just a chill baby too. Like we do the ultrasound and he was always napping. He was always chill. And even when he was awake, he wouldn't be doing much. He'd just be like chilling. (laughs) The only time he wanted to move was when I was laying down. Exactly. The second I lay down, he was like, hey, yeah. Somebody told me it's like you're moving all day. It's almost like you're rocking them to sleep. So when you stop, it's like, what the hell? And then they're like, oh, at night I would laugh because I'd be laying down at night. And all of a sudden you just see a little bump go over my belly. It was was like, I thought I was going to hate that. I did not know how much I was going to love being pregnant. And yes, it's because I had the most angelic pregnancy ever, but I was fascinated with everything that was happening with my body. Yeah. I was so fascinated. And you were like every week, it's like, it's an eggplant. It's a, and now it has a hand. Oh, (laughs) when I went for my first ultrasound, right? So I go for this first ultrasound and I didn't know how pregnant, I really did not know. I'm expecting to see a little dot on the screen and I'm going to be like, oh my God. It's so cute. Look at that. Like mama. <laughs> it was literally like I had a whole ass baby. Like he had a head. He had some feet. I was in my second trimester. They were like, you need to go to the doctor because you're in your second trimester. <laughs> oh my God. They were like, there's tests that need to be done and everything. So I rushed to the doctor because now, of course, the pressure of being a mom already begins. And now I feel like a terrible mom because I didn't know I was pregnant. And I was on the pill. So there was like, Wow. I wasn't supposed to be pregnant, yeah, everybody. So why would you even? Oh, that scares me. I'm on the pill. It depends on what the pill. They switched my pill because I get migraines. And because I get migraines, they I couldn't take the pill that I was on because I guess there's some connection to having like heart issues or whatever. So they switched wow. me. And this was the first GYN to switch me. And I mm. feel like it was a plot. <laughs> Can't prove it. But a couple months later, a blessing of your angelic son. Oh my aunt, that was my angelic son spirit going, give her these pills because I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. So you weren't gonna you weren't planning your pregnancy. Yeah, I was not. I was not. I was 40 and not ready to and not that I wasn't ready to be a mom. I always said to myself, if it happens, it happens. Me and my husband had had a discussion. We were like, if it happens, great. If it doesn't happen, we can adopt. We both love kids. Um, and I absolutely love motherhood. Like, I got to be honest with you. I, I'm, I know it's difficult. And my kids are not at that age yet where I'm like fist fighting them over breakfast. But even with that, there's like a joy I feel in being a mom. I love that. There's a paranoia, obviously. I think every mom goes through that. Like every mom goes through that. Like, am I doing the right thing for my kids? Like I just, me and my husband just had a whole discussion on using the word happy because my son said, please. And my husband went, that makes daddy happy when you say that. And I said, please don't say that. Please don't make your happiness his responsibility. (laughs) I'm like, tell him you're proud of him. Tell him he did good, but do not make your happiness his responsibility because then that becomes, he's only going to do stuff so that we're happy versus him doing stuff because it makes him proud of himself. You're a great mom. My God. I'm just careful. Like I'm just very conscious not to put anything on him that doesn't belong to him. Not my traumas, not my issues. They don't belong to him. They are mine to deal with. 
even my fears, I can't put on him. Like I'm, I'm the helicopter mom, a hundred percent. I'm the one floating around my son. Like I'm a secret service agent. Like I'm the one at the playground. Like the Eagle has landed at the slide. The Eagle has landed abort mission. There's another kid abort mission, abort mission. I'm the one that snotty nose. We need green shirt out of (laughs) it. We need sanitizer. We need sanitizer stat. Right. I'm literally that mom over there. So I'm learning to just let him explore and like he's been climbing. So he's got like a bruise on his shin. And I was like, I'm a terrible mom. You're bruised up. And it's like, no, no, he's exploring. He's a little boy. He wants to climb. There's such a difference, Gina. I had a girl first. And I was like, this is going to be fine. My son attempts things that she just would never, never have. I'm like, he's like up on something. He's four. And now it's like dangerous things. And he'll, he just has no fear. He's hurt. He's always bleeding. Like something is always cut. I mean, he's just, and I'm like, why would you even, I didn't know. Like, I, I don't think to tell him not to put a dinosaur in the toilet or there's no way I can prepare for the things that he thinks to do. Yeah. But on the other hand, he's obsessed with me. And I'm assuming it's the same, like they're a boy and their mom. He's obsessed. He is (laughs) obsessed. And what I, when I really, and, and here's where, here's where the, the talking about motherhood now and the new age motherness of everything and the people talking smack about motherhood kind of get under my skin because yeah. although I understand parental trauma and although I understand that, you know, our parents came from a generation of parenting where a lot was put on us. A lot of our trauma comes from their trauma that they Same. didn't deal with. Yep. And I understand that. But I think what I hate is the generalizations about being a mother or boy moms or this. And I hear this all the time. And it's like, and it's usually from people that are not moms. And here's the thing. I get that you can be observant. I get that you can pick up on things. I even get that you can understand human psychology and child psychology. But until you've walked in the shoes of a woman who's carried a baby, delivered that baby, and then has to look after and protect that baby, you really shouldn't be commenting on things that you have not lived through. Because I heard this thing once, this video that really got under my skin, where this woman was like, you know, people say that it's easier to raise boys than girls. Well, that's because you guys don't put any effort into raising your little boys. Uh, you who? Yeah, exactly. You who, because you're talking as if you're speaking on behalf of every boy mom out there. I'm incredibly conscious of how I'm raising my son. And I know the idea of the video was to spread, I guess, some sort of awareness, Mm -hmm. but I don't think judgment is the way to spread awareness. I think if you want to spread awareness on how you should be raising little boys, if you want to avoid toxic masculinity and all these things, I don't even refer to my son's uh gender a lot like when i tell him proud of him i refer to him by name i don't say good boy i don't say you're being a good boy you're being a brave boy no i refer to him by name so that i'm not married to that and he doesn't get married to it and it doesn't become a thing now that's only me because i don't know where he's going to fall on the spectrum of life where he's going to fall in terms of his openness with whoever he is as a person and i want to create an environment that's open but when you send out a video like that that generalizes all boy moms you exclude people like me who are working really hard to fight against the stereotypical raising of a little boy king who grows up and then idolizes his mom and no woman can compare no no no. i want him to value 
people. Mm-hmm. He should value people. And if he loves his mom, that's great. We're not going to be obsessed with each other, but we can love each other and be like, yeah, that's my son, bro. You should on a certain level though. You came from my body. Yeah. Like how is that? <laughs> yeah. Like you're, you're legit a part. You were a part of yes. me for a long time. Yes. And even coping with that, like, I don't know how it was for you the first night, but I remember having this realization the first night that blew my mind. And it was sort of my step into conscious parenting when the first night I'm in the hospital with my son and I had a terrible delivery. Like my doctor should be arrested and locked up. He was a terrible human being. And I, I really wish I, I complained and the I nurses need a little complained. bit more information. Okay. So just, Jeez. just for anybody who is pregnant, I feel like these stories need to be told so that you know <laughs> that you know that you know some shit goes down in the delivery room that you're not going to be able to control. You need somebody in there that is going to advocate and fight for you because physically your state of being, you have to be able to keep yourself calm and you should not be worried about anything. Yeah. I walked in there ready to have a baby, ready to go. I was excited. My water broke. I was ready to go. I was so happy to be there. Yeah. And then this doctor comes in who's not the doctor I've been seeing my entire pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So already what's going on. I asked them to reach out to my doctor and I hear back from no one. And then this strange man walks in. He's clearly agitated because now he has to take another patient. He tells me he's been working for two days straight as if that's my problem. problem. It's your fault. Sir, I'm I'm in the middle of something, if you (laughs) haven't noticed. So I don't really know about your schedule. I'm bringing life into the world. Yes. But thanks for the added pressure of your schedule. (laughs) And then he says, he starts talking smack about the doctor that I was seeing for my whole pregnancy. Oh my God. Saying that he's greedy and that all he does is do private practice stuff. He doesn't even deliver anymore. Like just talking smack. And I'm like cool. So who's going to deliver my baby? Yeah. Because I have a birth plan that I have. And he was like, we'll give you a birth plan. Did not care about my birth plan. Did not want to hear me at all. Walked out of the room, told me he needed to take a nap, walked out of the room. And I said, cool, come back refreshed. I get it. I'm chill right now. I don't need the epidural just yet. Yes. Finally, epidural time comes. I go up to get the epidural. At this point, my contractions are really strong. So it's hard to put the epidural in because they're so strong, but I didn't want to take it too early. So I tried to wait as long as I could. I did the same thing. Yeah. Because I'm like, if I take it too early, then I don't know what's going to happen. I still feel something. And I, yes. (laughs) So I was, uh, they finally, they get it in or so we thought, because then like 15 minutes later, the epidural had fallen out and now it's too late. I can't. They can't put it back in. So now I have to give birth, no epidural, no nothing, right? The biggest, uh. the biggest fear of mine was giving birth. That was a huge fear oh, of mine. God. I was so scared. So in this moment, the doctor's not listening to me. Every time he, every time I scream in pain, he yells at me to stop screaming. It literally felt like a rape. Like I'm not even gonna lie. That's what oh, it felt like. God. And my husband is standing there not knowing what to do because he's trying to be with me and comfort me, but he wants to leap over the fucking table and grab this guy. Like he just wants to grab him, but he doesn't know what to do. And I need him with me. He's my only advocate there. So finally my son, my son is born. I'm, I'm holding my son. The doctor leaves the room and I'm crying hysterically. I'm traumatized. I'm scared, but I have my son. So I'm happy. It's a weird moment. It's a chaotic moment. And then the doctor comes back in and I'm holding my son and I won't look at him. I'm so mad, but I can't move. I'm in pain. I'm exhausted. 
but I can't move. So I just avert my eyes. I just keep looking at my son. The doctor's talking to me and I won't look at him. And then all of a sudden the doctor goes, why isn't she looking at me? Why won't she look at me? How come she won't look at me? And the nurse just turns to him and goes, she doesn't have to, so you can leave. Wow. She clearly doesn't want to look at you, so you can leave. Yeah. And he leaves. And the nurse tells me she's going to file a report because he was unprofessional and da, da, da. And then a nurse in the hallway tells my husband the same thing. I heard everything that went down. I'm going to write a report. So I get in contact with the, um, I guess the HR of the hospital or whoever handles their internal stuff. And I hate to say it. Look, their reaction was so cold to everything that happened. It was literally like, well, you have a healthy baby. So. Wow. That's and it's like, yes, but now I, I needed trauma counseling after I actually had to go to trauma counseling. Jeez. And so the doctor later in that day, like after I have my son, like we've already been through this. I've been through enough with you. Finds my hospital room, comes into my hospital room oh. to give some half-ass apology. He's like, I'm sorry. I wasn't soft enough with you. That was his apology. Wow. And I remember just I swear to you, if my husband looked at me because I was about to get up out of bed, but I couldn't move the lower half of my body. I like sat up and I was like, weren't soft enough with me. I was like, are you kidding me right now? That's your apology. Right. Wow. And he's like, well, you know, your son was like, was like, uh, born like he's healthy. That That's a good thing. And I was like, I literally felt your hands inside me and asked you not to do that and told you it was hurting me and you didn't care. And he was like, I never had my hands inside you. And I'm like, well, you're telling me what there was no epidural. I felt everything. Oh bro. I don't know how you did that. And so I after that, that like, was your birth experience. God. It sucks because I loved being pregnant. Yeah. I loved it so much. I really did. And that just ruined it. I felt unsafe. I, I still can't pass by the hospital without getting that feeling of like, ah, ah. but that first night with my son, like I was, I'm looking at him and his little thing and he's all swaddled up and he's this little peanut, this tiny yeah. little thing. And he, you know, he wakes up and I pick him up and I'm holding him and I'm like, Oh my God, this is his first night outside of my body. Yeah. This is as traumatic and scary for him as it is for me. Like, uh, yeah, I just had that realization that here's this, he's now separate from me. Everything he has known has come from me. Mm -hmm. So I stayed up all night, sat up in my chair, holding him so he would sleep. And I didn't sleep until the nurse came in in the morning and took him for some tests. And I was literally, she took him out of my arms and I went, <sighs> like the second she took him, I was like, great. <sighs> Knocked out for like two hours. But that and, is such a great, yeah. You think about like you and you're so tired. Like they, I, I, my doctor too was like, it's like quiet. It's so quiet. They just hear this like white noise sound and it's dark. And then all of a sudden it's loud and there's lights and they're like, what in the hell? And they're screaming. Like, and what are, what is going on? Who are you? Yes. Where's the lady I was just yeah. with? <laughs> right. They're flailing around instead of being, so that is traumatizing. Yeah. When you, the second they put my that. son in my arms and I started talking to him, Aww. he like calmed down. Like, wait a minute. I know that voice. Yes, exactly. Oh, it's you. What's up lady? Like yes. it was, I was like, oh, hey. Yeah. And then it just, we were just Best. inseparable. And <laughs> how old is he uh, now? He's two. Oh, 
That's such. They're two, so and he's just the cutest, <laughs> no, sweetest. <he> <laughs> He's got like, we got him a little Montessori bed because he sleeps in the bedroom with us. And uh-huh. I woke up last night. I have a lot of trouble sleeping and motherhood does not help. No, um, does it? Of course, I heard him because I put on meditations at night. So I was listening to this meditation real quiet by, by my, I keep it by my pillow. But I heard, <laughs> I heard him talking and I get up and he's sitting by the side of his bed, just like really tired, just like, want milk, milk? milk (laughs) and he's trying to find me because (laughs) i'm usually sleeping next to him but he was in his bed so he's like where's the milk lady (laughs) and so i go okay and i grab him his milk i give him his milk i put him back in bed and he lays down but it was like the cutest thing he's just oh i know it's the best it's it really is man more squats and margaritas in a moment now this Guys, we're moms. We're not out on the town every night anymore. We're chasing our toddlers through our kitchen. But there are those times where you want just that little extra something. Maybe it's a girl's night, a wedding, a date night, a work event. If you're looking for that little extra confidence boost, you need Rejuvalift. Rejuvalift delivers dramatic results to minimize the look of lines, wrinkles, crow's feet, those 11 lines that I have between my eyebrows, I use it on the bags under my eyes. Guys, it works in four minutes and delivers results up to seven hours. I've tried it. I'm obsessed. And now Squats and Margaritas listeners can get 20% off at rejuvaliftbeauty.com using code margaritas. That's R-E-J-U-V-A liftbeauty.com and use promo code margaritas. You need this in your life. Shipping is free. You get 20% off. Go to rejuvaliftbeauty.com. Explain your DNA on, on 10 cases, man. You're inside the police interrogation room with the alleged Potomac River rapist. I'm not guilty on any of this stuff. So calm, so reasonable. Could this be the man who terrorized women for nine years before murdering a brilliant scientist two decades ago? Experience one of the most fascinating true crime podcasts available. Join crime reporter Paul Wagner for Unknown Subject, season three of WTOP's American Nightmare series. Search American Nightmare podcast podcast on all podcast platforms. Now back to squats and margaritas. My daughter's at a heart. She's uh, almost seven and we butt heads like nothing else. Like my son comes in. What is he? He's like his latest thing. He's like, you're the best mom I ever seen in town. <laughs> Come here, buddy. And I'm no, like, it's like night and day. Honestly, I've seen girl, uh, girl moms and the struggle between the two of them. And a lot of it, I think, comes from that I don't know why and I, I'm sure there's a psychological reason why this happens. I see all girls gravitate towards their dads more and just boys naturally gravitate towards their moms more. Yes. Like my son is attached at the hip. Like when I'm here, he is where mommy is. Yeah. Yep. And even if he's not, he'll be playing and he'll look up like, Hey, wait, where is she? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Mommy's in the kitchen. Okay. Yes. And I'm just I, like, oh, I feel I, for you because you want to be close to your little girl. Yes. But somebody like a therapist was like, you see you in her. You see like little mm-hmm. Aaron. And I'm like, she's like, and then things that you were shamed for as a kid is like triggering to you. So you're like, I'll snap at her. And like, we just have a different uh, dynamic. And I don't want it. And people are like, oh, six. Yeah. Good luck at 13. Like, wait till she's a teenager. She will hate you. They're just so different. And I'm trying yeah. to like work on that relationship. But what you said about uh, raising your son, 
So both of us are in um, multiracial, multi-ethnic marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, and do you ever have problems with like your extended family and things that they say to your son or the way that oh, they- Oh, 100%. How do my you my um I love my parents and they're wonderful and they watch my son a lot yeah. and my my husband sent me a video and it's so funny because it was obviously a trigger for me and I'm very careful with what's my triggers and what should be his triggers and what conversations we have like he's gonna have his own triggers he's gonna have his own things so I try very hard when I'm triggered by something to sit back and be like that really bothered me <laughs> and and here's this sweet video of of my son and my mom and my mom is going you know she took him outside and he starts crying he's at this stage now where he will start crying out of frustration or because he doesn't understand something mm-hmm. and my mom was like I can't remember if she said like, why are you crying or don't cry? Yes. And I was like, don't say don't cry. Exactly. My mother-in-law says, boys don't cry. Boys don't cry. You're a little girl. Boys don't cry. And I said, can you not? Little girls cry. And I said, please stop saying that to him. Then he's going to be a husband one day. And it's like, you never show emotion. It's like, I wasn't supposed to. I wasn't allowed to. That's why it's like, but my parents will listen if I say something. I I feel you on that a hundred percent. Like, don't tell him that. He's a four-year-old. Like, And um, Brene Brown talks about fucking first times, FFT. Yes, yes. She's like, everything for them is an FFT. They've never done anything. So they get frustrated. And another thing that like, I felt like was so impactful. It's like, they're not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. Mm-hmm. And if you look that's at it what, like that. That's why I hate when people say stuff like terrible twos. It's like, no, they're not terrible. Yeah. They're trying to assert dominance, but they can't. They yeah. want independence, but they still need you. And it's a difficult situation to navigate around. They're not terrible. They're confused and frustrated. And it's the first time they're feeling these emotions and they don't know how to verbalize them. They don't know how to say, the sound of that song makes me sad because it sounds sad. Yeah. They just know that when they hear that song, they cry. Exactly. And it's, and- it's hard for, I think, for the older generations when you're trying to explain that because what happens, and this, of course, is such a natural thing in humanity, I think, as they go, oh, is that how they feel about how I raise them? And it's like, yes. <laughs> I hate to tell you, but, and it doesn't mean that I dislike you. It doesn't mean that I hate you. I still love you. I still think you're an amazing parent. It's just, I had this bit in my act where I was, uh, where I'm talking about now about parenting, where parents were people before they were parents. And we forget that. And we assume that they are flawless and that they should be flawless. They're human and therefore very flawed. Mm -hmm. Now, some people definitely should have never had children. (laughs) Right. And there should be an evaluation process <laughs> because children need to be cared for yeah. um, by people that actually are concerned with not just their, because I think our parents were more concerned with this, um, the idea of our survival. It was like, I have to keep this kid alive. So how do they keep us alive? By controlling us. How do they control us? With fear. I'm going to make you afraid of me or afraid to lose my respect or my love. So if I keep you in fear, then you'll listen to what I have to say. You took that. I took that from your Amazon. You say like you lived in fear of your parents. I can't relate to that, but my husband, and I feel like maybe culturally, like there's a lot of similarities, like everything from your show. He was like, if my son says something, he's like, if he's like, you are so lucky you didn't come up when I came up. He's like, Mm -hmm. you do not. He's like, I was in fear of my parents. I was like, that's terrible. And he's like, that's just how it was. And I, I don't, 
want that to like perpetuate like generationally then my son's going to be and I talked to a a child psychologist and I was like my son does not respect me I could be like come here like as stern as I can say it I'm like come here and I end up screaming he's like my husband will be like why are you screaming I'm like because he doesn't listen to me when my husband calls him he comes up right away and she's like well do you want me to tell you what's happening there and I was like yeah and she goes he's afraid of him He's afraid of your husband. So it's fear. And I was like, he doesn't hit him. And he's, she's like, if he complies right away, it's like, oh God, he's afraid. He doesn't respect you. But she's like, it doesn't mean he respects your husband. It means he's afraid of your husband. And I was Interesting. Like, I know. I was like, he only listens to him. And she's like, it's no, she's like, he's afraid of him. And it, my husband will like raise his voice. My son's like, okay, but I, I will try. That's so, so funny. Hard. Here's where my son is like me. If you raise your voice at my son, he's either going to cry or look at you like you're crazy. Yeah. Like my, <laughs> my husband will like say, like we'll try to use a stern voice and say, come here. And he'll just keep doing whatever he's doing. He's like, I yeah. know he ain't talking to me. <laughs> I know he's not talking to me like that. Uh-uh. You will uh-uh. respect me in this house. You better come correct, daddy. Because I will, I will call my son once. Once. <laughs> And then I will walk up to him, grab his hand, make him look at me and go, mommy was calling you. I need you to pay attention when I'm calling you. That's for your safety. When mommy calls you, it's for your safety. She needs to get your attention. And I'll do it every time. If it takes 10 times before it sinks in with this kid, I will say it once, get up, walk over to him, grab his hand, do the same thing until it sinks in. When mommy says your name, You look up. You don't have to come to me right away. I need you to acknowledge that you heard me. Wow. My husband, he just, come here, come here. And I'm like, he's looking at you like I look at you when you get loud with me. Like, you really want to do this? It's a white people thing, I guess. (laughs) I'm the same. I'm like, stop it. Come here. My husband's like, like, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to talk more about your husband too. (laughs) Um, so you fa- you stalked him on a cruise ship. I did. As I do. did. That's my <laughs> that's my partner. Like it's so funny because I say this all the time about my husband. Like, does he get on my nerves? Yes, of course. Every married person is annoyed by their partner. That's a normal thing because you spend so much time with somebody and you spend so much time building a life with somebody. Yeah, you get on each other's nerves. I annoy him as much as he annoys me. I I know I do. But in the end, like that's my homie. That's my partner. I can annoy him. If somebody else annoys him, we are about to fight Yeah, because that's still my, my husband. And so, uh, when I first met him, I, we were just talking about this the other day, me and my husband. So funny. Um, I was like, immediately I had a crush on him. Like I was like, I was like, he's fine. <laughs> and I was very single at the time and very like, it was so funny. I was never good at the single world because people would want to casually date. And I'd be like, I don't know what that means. Are you with me or not? Like, make are a you decision. going to marry me or not? Yes. <laughs> I don't, I don't need to date for other people to realize I like you. Yeah. But if you'd like to do that, then I'm probably going to find someone I like better than you. Who's more decisive. <laughs> right. So don't get mad if I find someone who's more decisive than you. And <laughs> I don't talk to you no more, which is exactly what happened. Um, I was like, kind of dating this guy that wanted to casually date. And I had told him I wanted something more serious. And he was like, well, you know, I, I'm kind of not looking for anything serious. And I went, okay, cool. Fine. Cool. We dated for a little bit. We saw each other on the regular. That's a relationship to me. Yeah. That's a relationship, honey. What are we doing? Yeah. And so at some point, I think before, after I got on the ship, I had told him, I was like, yeah, this isn't for me anymore. 
like, sorry. I was, you know, I was hurt. Like it was an emotional conversation. I wasn't mean, but I was very much like, I'm basically, I'm wasting my time with this because you don't want what I want. And this has been fun, but this, this is, it's like taking a taxi to the bus stop. Where am I going? Where am I going? Right. Yeah. Why am I doing this to myself? And you ended I, it right I, before? I like right before you, yeah, it was like right before we had talked, I think we had had, we had had the first initial talk of like, Hey, so like, is this going to be a thing? And then I met my husband on the ship and I was like, Oh my God, I like this guy. <laughs> right. Cause we sort of met and started like hanging out and like, it was very sweet and we were getting to know each other. And he's a very, he's a very nice guy. My husband's a very nice guy. And I was touched by how nice he was and how kind, the kindness he showed to other people. And then I just remember I got off the ship and I was like, people, people. Yeah. So (laughs) the thing is, yeah, we done. (laughs) This is done. And then like fast forward to like a couple months into dating my, my, uh, my husband, we post a picture together. Finally, that like our official coming out as a couple. (laughs) And the guy that I dated comments on it. I was like, wow, looks like you found somebody quick or something like that. I didn't have to say anything. My best friend and my girlfriends <laughs> jumped on top of that comment and were so passive aggressive. Like it was literally the whole thing was just like, I find it funny <laughs> how you was the one that didn't want nothing serious, but now you mad. Why you mad then? I love that. Oh and God. so uh, we just, we kind of met at the perfect time of my single hook. Cause I was doing singlehood was I was never good at it. I never nailed it. I was either being too ratchet and acting out or, or I wasn't doing nothing. That was the, those were the two speeds, either nothing, or I was ratchet and drinking and making bad choices and excusing my bad choices because of the trauma I suffered at the hands of my last relationship. I was like, I'm traumatized. So I get to act out. And I'm like, no, no, no. You acting out hurts other people. Dingus. And I, I had to have that moment of realization where I was like, oh, yeah, this is messy now because I used my trauma as an excuse to hurt other people when really my trauma is for me to deal with and me alone. And at the time I met my husband, I had really thrown in the towel on trying to find a relationship because I was like, you know what? I'm just going to be a hoe because <laughs> I'm not, I'm clearly not ready. I'm clearly not ready. I had that moment of like, I'm not ready for a relationship. So it's like either be a hoe or be a nun. Which one do you want? <laughs> Choose one or the other. And there, there he was. <laughs> and then there he was. It was like the universe went, you're ready now. Yes. Ooh. You are so self-aware. I assume it's you go to therapy. therapy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, my God. It's therapy, meditation, reading, reading books. And I'm not even like one of those people that's like, reading is the only way to get knowledge. Some people are not readers. I respect that. Like my girlfriend one of the smartest women I know, she's not a reader. She gets all her knowledge from watching videos or audiobooks or whatever. I respect it. Mm-hmm. I'm just the kind of person that like, when I made a decision to love myself enough to do the work to heal, because oh it's not easy work. And that's oh. the thing. It's a lot of checking yourself on your bad habits and your flaws and your excuses that you give yourself, but you're not ripping yourself apart. You're not punishing yourself. You're just going, I thought you said you didn't want to do that anymore. Exactly. And isn't it like frowned upon in the Latino community? Mm -hmm. It's true. Like we've talked about it. We've talked about it. Uh, When I told my parents that I was going to therapy, 
I just remember there was a moment of silence. Like I, when yeah. I said it, as if they were just like, just pray oh, about it. She's going to find out about everything. They're going to blame us <laughs> for everything. And I'm like, yeah, probably. But the difference between me and a lot of people is like, I don't, I personally, and this is just speaking for myself because I can't speak for other people, obviously. I don't need closure to heal a wound. So I don't need to go up to my parents and go, why did you do X, Y, Z to me? Why did you da, 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 da? I, I deserve an apology. Some people need that. Some people should do that. Yeah. To me, I go, oh, I see. That's where that comes from. I get it. And you can I get it. past it. Yeah, I get it. And I go, I see where that comes from. And now that I know that that's inside of me, when I get that feeling, when that comes up again, the insecurity or the trauma, when it comes up again, I take a moment. I was just talking about triggers with uh, another friend of mine. And we all have triggers. We all have trauma. We've all had our level of trauma. Nobody is immune to trauma. We live in the world together. Human existence alone is traumatic. So we all have our traumas. It's how we deal with those traumas and whether or not we're willing to work on ourselves yes. to better the relationship with ourselves. Like you have to love yourself. It sounds so corny and no, so cliche, I, but the I, minute you start loving yourself enough to do the work is when you start to see and feel the changes in your life. But yes. until you're willing to, and the work is hard, man, so it is true. hard. Yes. Self-awareness, it will, the reason why I, I realized this after 20 years of therapy, the reason why a lot of narcissists will never become self-aware is because it would kill them. Becoming self-aware as a narcissist yeah. would destroy the narcissist because they would have to accept the fact that they have hurt so many people intentionally for their own benefit, for their own gain. They would have to live with that guilt because the mind of a narcissist, they're doing nothing wrong. I was right. with a narcissist for seven years. They're in the, the mind, right. They're doing nothing wrong. Yep. The problem is you. The problem is the world. The problem is never them. So once they turn that inside, mm, yeah, so they just danger. don't go there. Danger. They don't Too even, right. they wouldn't dare. Once you start doing like a little bit of self-work, I feel like just so much more Mm -hmm. opens up. Yes. What I, I posted it recently. I saw, I think it was like Kylie Jenner or somebody. So I heard it on the radio and there, she did an interview and she's like, whenever I start being hard on myself, because for me, you probably don't know any of my backstory, but I was bulimic, anorexic, depressed for mm -hmm. a decade ish, a little bit like 10, 12 years and hated myself. And I hated my body. And when I started dating my husband, he was in the prime of his career in the NFL. I had no self-worth. So it was like, I, I couldn't understand what he saw in me. Like I kept thinking, I was like, there has to be somebody else. Our relationship suffered because I was so insecure. And I say that to say like, I've done the work, I've done the therapy. And when you look at yourself as your younger, like as a little kid, I like guess Kylie Jenner has a picture of herself when she was like four. Oh. I found this video of me. I have to send it to you after this. And I'm like in my underwear, like, two or three and I'm singing little cabin in the woods, like this beautiful, sweet little queen. And I'm like, who would ever, I would never be mean to that sweet little girl. And that's you. And when you look at yourself, like look at yourself, how you look at like your little one, like yes. your little self. And I, I always think about like when I'm like, Oh, it, you're such an idiot or something. Like, it's like, you're talking to that little you who yeah. is just like the sweetest thing ever. And I look at it like that now, like you're talking to 
or like my daughter, like six year old me and I, things that my daughter is dealing with now, like it's hard and you have to give yourself grace. And as a woman, I feel like it's super hard to do that. Um, and men are just, because they're not honestly, and this is where it comes back to the old school way of parenting. They're not taught how to break down their emotions. And for that reason, everything feels like a harsh criticism. Everything feels like an upset. It's like, no, no, no. We women are so used to being critiqued (laughs) and so used to being told how to be and who to be and what to wear and how to look and what's safe and what's not. We're so used to that, that we actually don't look at any of that as criticism. We look at that as like, oh, (laughs) you're just telling me what I need to do in this situation. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm saying on the opposite side of the spectrum for us, our realization is that, oh no, you don't get to tell me who I am. I get to decide who I am. Mm -hmm. But in order to make those decisions and make them healthy, I have to first figure out who I am. And that means even knowing my flaws and knowing the things that I do. Like there's, there was a, a thing, I had this beautiful and yet awkward moment with a girlfriend of mine you know, cause you're constantly learning and evolving and changing as a person. Mm-hmm. When you stop allowing yourself to grow, then you stop living. Life is about growing. Life is constant change. And so I'm sitting there and I'm working with my girlfriend and we're working on a project together and we're very good friends, but we also work together professionally, pretty beautifully. And she did a thing. She said something and I was quick to be like, okay, I get it. Let's move on. Let's go. Let's go. Like, let's just do it. And that's just how I work. I wasn't intentionally being dismissive, but it was very dismissive of me. I was just trying to hurry up and get to work. (laughs) And she paused and she took a breath. And immediately I sat back and I went, oh no, I did a thing. I'm like, I did a thing. I did a thing. What did I do? What did I do? What was wrong? What did I say? Was I too harsh? And she paused and she said, I want to be careful on how I address this because it's a trigger for me. And I know you didn't do it intentionally. That, if you're not used to criticism, can put you immediately on the defensive. Yeah. Because your thing is, well, it wasn't my intention. Here's, here's how I explain intention to people. Yeah. I use the swinging door analogy. If I swing open a door and it hits you, I didn't know you were behind the door. I didn't intentionally swing the door open to hit you. But I swung the door open and it hit you. So regardless, I still hit you with the door. Yes. So I still say, I'm so sorry I hit you with the door. I don't need to say it wasn't my intention. Mm -hmm. I'm aware that you're aware that I didn't think, oh, there's this girl behind the door. I'm about to whack her with it. You know, I didn't think that. But there's this thing with intention where it's not that intention doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's that you can't use it to get out of a hurt that you've created. Yeah. It's that even if it wasn't your intention, and even I struggled with this as a comic for so long, like, but it wasn't my intention to offend you. It wasn't, it doesn't matter. It still happened. Yeah. It still happened. And so I think with a lot of men, what happens is when you call out something like that, when you stop and you, and they have that awkward feeling of like, I'm being judged. No, you're not being judged. I'm explaining to you a thing that you did that triggered something in me so that when you think of doing it again, you reconsider your actions in case they hurt somebody unintentionally. Yes. It still warrants an apology and you still hurt someone regardless. Yeah. The swinging door. I like that. It's weird because I look at a lot of how 
like my interactions with men. And, and now that I have a little boy, I, I've realized that if they're not taught at a young age, how to verbalize their feelings, how to explain how they are, mm-hmm. then they will constantly only have one. The only emotion that the world makes it okay for men to show and men to deal with is anger. That's why it's the one they show the most. Anger, frustration, those are masculine emotions to feel. And it's like, no, 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 they're just emotions. There's other ones. Yeah. There's sadness and loneliness and happiness and and you know, glee and all these wonderful things that you can feel. This but when you only feel comfortable displaying your anger, it's because that's the only one that was okayed from a very young age. Your foundation was set that boys don't cry, boys don't do this, boys don't do that. Never, never. I want, I want a child that is just a good human being and therefore is allowed to express themselves in any way they want to. Yes. Whatever they're feeling. Um, I don't know if this is a similarity, but it was like, boys don't cry in his household. Kids, if there were adults in the room, kids did not speak. Like you don't speak when adults are in the room. Yep. And I'm like, what? Like the fact that you, when you talk to your, when you talk about your son, like a human being, like it was like, they were like, not even people. It was like, yeah. you're a kid, get out. Like you had to leave when adults were like one day he came home. My son's like watching Paw Patrol and my husband comes and he takes the remote and he cl- changes the channel. And my husband, my son's like, Hey, and he's like, boy, get out of here. Like I'm the dad. And I was like, he goes, I wish when, if I came home and I was watching my show and my dad came home and I was like, that's my show. He goes, I would have gotten a whooping for that. But I was like, do you understand how like you just completely disrespected him? But he he was raised that like the dad is mm-hmm. the dad and he's a kid. So I'm not going to sit here and watch what he wants. And I was like, it was so sad to watch. And he was like, you completely disregarded his existence. Totally. Honestly, I, I've seen it with my husband too. And I'm like, I'm, I'm quick to be like, Mm-mm. Cause you're right there and you're turn like, it back, <laughs> turn it back, turn it back. Cause I will fist fight you for that remote in front of our son to show you that you should listen to him when he speaks to you. Yeah. They when were taught. He, he didn't, he wasn't supposed to speak when adults were there. They were just, ta- it was very, I mean, they got, they had to pick their switch and get hit. With, and I get it. It's, disturbing. it's difficult to let go of the paradigms that are imprinted on our mind, the programs that are set for our uh, us as children, the programs that were set for us. It's difficult to break free of that. And I think in the early months of, I remember I had this moment, oh my God, the same girlfriend that she teaches me so much. This is why I'm so thankful for my group of friends, my girlfriends. Uh, we were meeting again for something business-wise. And that day I had yelled at my son. I had gotten really frustrated and I yelled at him. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there and I'm telling her about it and I start crying. Yeah. And she, she takes my hand and she's like, Oh my God, what's wrong? Like what happened? And I go, I'm just like my mother. I'm just like my mother. I yelled at him the way my mother would have yelled at me for merely existing at a time that was inconvenient for me. And I just started crying and she was like, but you said, sorry, you apologized. You spoke to him. Like, you, you did your best to remedy the situation. She's like, you have to give yourself the grace of being human. And this is up. where this, you know, yeah. we really have to let go of this idea. One, that our relatives and our parents are not our, our people. They're just people. They are people. We put them on a pedestal. And two, nobody is um, immune from the flaws of the human existence. Nobody's immune from it. There is no perfect person. We all have bad days, bad moments, bad attitudes. It it just happens. Mm. And so 
I think getting rid of the narrative that like, cause I, I have a lot of um, fans that will like contact me and, you know, we, you know, we talk, we've known each other for years. And like a couple of them have really bad relationships with their parents and not to be cold or anything, but I was very much like, then cut them off. They're people. And if they're toxic people, then you can't be around them. It doesn't mean that you do not love them. It does right. not mean that you do you not love them. set a boundary. Them. You kind of- You set a boundary yeah. and you go, I'm grown now. So you do not get to make me feel the way you make me feel anymore. Mm. Yeah. It's a boundary you set, but it's difficult because we are programmed to not think of relatives and family as- just people. They're people, which means they can be toxic for you too, yeah. which means just like you got to cut toxic people out of your life that are friends and coworkers, you got to look at your family the same. And it's, it feels messed up to say mm-hmm. because but, of how much you love them. Yeah. But you cannot, if you really want to heal and love yourself, you are the only you that you have for the rest of your life. That's it. You got this one shell that you live in. Do you want to be happy in it or not? Mm. Then you so, got to cut them out. I'm just like learning. It's just funny that we're talking now. Cause like, this is just what, just like on my like inner work mm-hmm. that I kind of just started. It's like everything that you're saying is like what I'm just like reading about now. And it's like, almost feels like you're reinforcing. It's just weird. The timing of it. That I feel like that's how it works. So <laughs> like it's weird. I'll read a book and then something will pop up on my timeline. Cause and you're you know, like, you've got to be kidding. Yeah. NSA is always listening. And so <laughs> Uh, something will pop up on my timeline and I'll be like, oh my God, that is, they're saying the same thing in that book that I'm reading now. It's a continuation of the thought and, and follow it. I would say, follow it. Follow I the feeling. Story. I've had you for yeah. an hour. I would really, really love to do a part two at some point because I was going to talk to you about veganism and fitness. Yes. And we didn't even, but this stands on its own. I'd love to like, talk to you more about fitness. Well, you said that thin women only eat onions and lettuce. And I did live my life eating onions and lettuce. And guess what? I so weighed did I. 20 pounds more. I was, oh, my yeah. body shut off. So we are going to get into that. Yeah, we have to. Because I had, a lot of people don't know that where that bit comes from <laughs> was, uh, I was addicted to diet pills in college. And we'll have to talk about that. Oh yeah. We have to, we need a whole part two. Because, oh, we are doing a part two about yeah. diet and fitness. This is on parenting. Yeah. It's perfect. Yes. There's two, part two will be. I on, love it. So you have a new podcast coming out tomorrow. I do. Yes. The state of women. Tell me about that. So I love this podcast so much. It's me and Kimberly Brooks and we did it for Clamor. Um, oh. <laughs> for Clamor Audio. Okay. And I absolutely love them so much. I, they were The whole team at Clamor was amazing. Everybody was just, hmm. it was a team of good human beings. And I'm proud of the work we did. And essentially the podcast is literally what it says, the state of women state by state. There are different laws that affect women differently. And we decided to really dissect those laws and also give women information and options on how and where to get help. If they are stuck in a state where the laws inhibit them from living their best life or living a healthy, happy life, or even just a safe life in some cases. And so we dissected a lot of stories. We dissected a lot of systemic issues and it's a wonderful, wonderful podcast that I had an incredible time making. And my co-host Kimberly is a wonderful human being and I adore her. So definitely check out the state of women. Um, I think everybody is going to learn a ton because I know I did. Where can people find you? 
You can find me uh, on Instagram at G Brion, on uh, TikTok at Gina Brion. Everything else is pretty much Gina Brion. Facebook, I'm rarely on. So please don't go looking for me on Facebook. I have a fan page there, but I'm rarely on it. Facebook became too busy for me and too intense. So like, the fan page gets checked. <laughs> My personal page has not been checked in a very long time. <laughs> um, so it's much better to hit me up via Instagram or on TikTok. I'm terrible at getting back to people. Don't take it personally. Next time I'm in Atlanta, I'll hit you up. I love because, that. Because uh, I love Atlanta. It was great. It was a beautiful place. It's and so we'll weird. Go. There's so many movies in Atlanta now. Like, yes. Why is it's, Georgia now the new LA? I think the space and affordability yeah, because true. there's so much space mm-hmm. in LA. It's like there, even though a lot of stuff is filmed there, there's not a lot of space and no. it's so expensive in to film in LA or New York. Makes People sense. are filming in Atlanta all the time and Canada. That makes, that makes total sense. I never thought about that. So yeah, when I'm filming time. my next project, how huh, universe, when I'm filming my next project in Atlanta, we will celebrate with some actual margaritas. Yes, we will. And you will definitely be back. This one was all about, spirituality, parenting, and we are going to do a second part on fitness and wellness and all of that. We need to do that. We need to schedule that. And also check out my website if you want to know if I'm coming to a city near you. It's just ginabrione.com or ginabrionecomedy.com. Either or works. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. 